guys. Stop. <laughs> Say that as Helen you scared is about me. to take a full sip for wine. It's one of those. Yeah. I like put the glass down. What? What is that? I just want to keep you guys on your toes because shit gets so wild. This week we're finishing ABC News Studios' Keeper of the Ashes, the Oklahoma Girl Scout Murders. We take a look at the trial and how the families of Denise, Lori Lee, and Michelle unfortunately have to deal with all of the shenanigans happening in and out of the courtroom. It's intense, gripping, and you're going to be on the edge of your freaking seat waiting to hear this finale. We are your hosts, Sherry Ferreira and Helen Allen. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening, everyone, and the highlights of the news this Thursday. where you left us last week. Anticipation. I know. And I'm here to deliver. Thank you, because it's been keeping me up for seven nights in a row. Oh, my God. That's not actually how this works. No, not at all. We do record in advance. (laughs) But I do have to say this bitch-ass Sherry did leave me on the hook because we weren't able to record both episodes right back-to-back like we usually do for part one and twos. And so I am here just as curious as you guys are on how this plays out. Yeah. And like, mind you, I didn't even know the full scope of this case and all like the ins and outs of the trial. So keep up with me and turn up your volume. <laughs> the opening is very, I put in my <laughs> somber. Mm-hmm. Um, Kristen Chenoweth is there revisiting Camp Scott 45 years since the incident. And she's there with the current sheriff looking through pictures of the scene where the bodies were found. So she's holding up the pictures from 1977 and matching them up to the area as it looks present day. And the sheriff points out that the tree where the bodies were found has since died. And you just know everyone takes that as like a sign. Yeah, and it's kind of eerie and like... Yeah, like a reminder of everything that occurred there. So it was very, very sad. Just to give you guys a little recap... In 1973, Jean Leroy Hart was arrested for the rape and kidnapping of two women, plus a burglary charge. And we'll get into the timeline of that um, a little bit later on, but just keep that in your head. Mm -hmm. So he escaped jail. Cut to 1977. It's now four years later, and Lori Lee, Denise, and Michelle are found dead. Hart is still missing, and the police have been actively trying to find him since the 1973 crime. But after connecting him to this 1977 murder... They're hauling ass. They're like, we really need this guy. <laughs> Do you like what I said? Yeah, I was waiting for you to give me the cue. Well, and I would I'm say, sorry. they hauled ass. <laughs> I have like, Helen, Helen, are you there? Because you're always like, they hauled ass. Queen of hauling ass. In the spirit of hauling ass, Harvey Pratt, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation agent, who we just call Harvey, um, went undercover and received a tip about where Hart might be. This leads him and all the other OSBI agents to a cabin in the middle of nowhere. And this cabin is owned by Sam Pigeon. And if you remember from last episode, he's the medicine man. Right. Okay. (laughs) And it's rumored that he has been hiding heart in this cabin for months. So they wait for Sam to go to work during the day. And as soon as they leave, well, as soon as he leaves, the police are on it. 
Of course they are. Yeah, they have the place completely surrounded, drew a map of the house, and stationed agents all around the cabin. Because to them, they're like, we cannot let this guy escape again. Absolutely Three not. times on not our watch? Not on our watch again. <laughs> for the no. third time? The humiliation. It would be a really bad track record. Yeah, 100%. So their plan was to have one team enter through the front door, and this is all happening in April, about a year after the crime. And I hate to be that bitch, but if you guys have not listened to part one... You should be so confused by now. <laughs> right. You should be like, so confused after like, the recap. I just, what kind of person clicks on part two? It's I going to say that. Exactly. You like, know, just read the, I mean, or you trust us so much you just blindly click an episode, aww. which I love that about you. But really, that's, just go listen to part one. That's so cute. <laughs> no, but seriously, go listen to part one. You're going to be lost. Just go. So as they approach the door, a figure comes bolting out of the house, but it's through the back door. And the figure is obviously Hart. He is in the house. So, but I'm sure that the police were ready for this. Oh, they, they were. They were stationed on the other side, I hope. Oh, they were. This okay. moron takes one look at all the agents and the backyard oh, yeah. okay. and is like, nope. <laughs> and slams the door closed and beelines for the front. But thankfully by then, a raid team had already entered the house. And at that point, Hart just, just gave up. You know, yeah, like, he was like, yep, okay, I see how this is yeah, going to go. He's like, damn, they, 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 they really upped the tactics since I saw you guys back four years ago. <laughs> Sam Pigeon says that Hart had discussed the murder with him, but denied committing them. And I'm like, who am I going to believe? The convicted rapist or the person who hid him for several months? Yeah, literally, this medicine man who uh, hit a uh, rapist. No. I'm sorry, but... <laughs> it's... Uh, not no. a credible source, in Not my at opinion. all. And even if... Like, if, if some guy who lives in very close proximity is discussing a murder with you, and but he's like, but I have nothing to do with it. I'm just discussing it with you. But also, I have nowhere to go. I kind of need to hide. Could you just... Wouldn't that be a red flag? Oh. Why do you need to hide and talk about that murder with me, huh? <laughs> Ask a question, Sam Pigeon. Right. Let's, just let's, one follow-up. Please. <laughs> Pictures flash on screen of what it was, of what it looked like inside the cabin, and it's nasty. Like, I'm not even going to hold you guys. It is nasty as hell. Like, obviously, two men have been staring there, staying there for a while. I'm already grossed out. But it's... <laughs> but Just it's, the thought of two men in a home. Gross. Unless they're gay, then I trust them. Right. Oh, fully. <laughs> straight men? No. 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 Disgusting. And it is later confirmed that Hart had been staying there for several months, but I'm just glad he is officially arrested. Which is on April 6, 1978, just so you guys can... That he was arrested. Yes. Gotcha. Hart is taken to a courthouse in Pryor, Oklahoma, which is located near the camp. He is set to be arraigned on three counts of first-degree murder, which is a lot considering the evidence they have. Like, immediately, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Right. So, I just feel like when you're prosecuting someone on three counts of anything... All at the same time, it means you're, like, ready to wrap it in a pretty bow. Exactly. And you must have, like, some, like... There's got to be some given... Like, some some big piece that you're not sharing with us, which is totally cool, as long as you have it, you know? What is it? Where is it? Exactly. So, that just made me a little uneasy just right off the bat. Mm. More newspaper headlines sort of flash across the screen, and I never hit pause so fast in my freaking life because... It said that Sam Pigeon is also expected to be charged with harboring a fugitive. Okay. Because whether, you know, he likes it or not, he was convicted for that prior crime that happened in 1966. So, 
Right. You know, it wasn't just he was running away from being accused. He ran away from this past crime that he was convicted of. Right. And I think probably a lot of that charge is to get Sam Pigeon talking a little bit more. Oh, and I to hope. maybe flip on him. And if that is the case, like, good on the police to think to do that. But at the same time, I just feel like I don't. I don't know how I feel about this charge, actually, to be totally honest. Okay. Well, I read it. I was excited. Initial reaction. But tell well, me what I, you... My thing is, though, is I worry about the slippery slope of how racist this can get. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah. And so I'm like, are they only charging Sam Pigeon so that he will flip on this man? Because it feels like a lot of drama when they don't have, at least as far as we know, they don't have enough on him. Right. Because here's the thing, like... He is not a white man, Mm-mm. and they don't have tons, as far as we know, and three counts of first-degree murder is, like, a big, big, tall order. Yeah. And so, then on top of that, charging the guy that was harboring him, it's like, they have got to be so sure. You I know. know. I mean? it, that's what it feels like. I mean, and we'll get into it later, but whatever. Law enforcement were 100% behind Gene Leroy Hart being the person behind these murders. Right. So it, it just feels like, all right, you guys got something. You're you're not telling the public. That's fine. But what is it? Yeah. What is it? What is it, though? Right? <laughs> As the trial is sort of looming, per se, okay. everyone has their opinion, you know? Me too. We, <laughs> I mean, that's why we're here. <laughs> what am I doing here if not to have a rogue opinion? Right. <laughs> we hear from some journalists that this was not just a trial about the crime itself or even proving first degree murder. A huge part of it became about race and the treatment of Native Americans in Oklahoma, which we did touch on last episode. Right. Lori Lee Farmer's mom, Sherry Farmer, says that when news broke of Hart's arrest, all she wanted was justice. In an interview she did back then when the trial was going on, she says, quote, we don't know if he's guilty or if he's not guilty. And she expressed that she just want she just wanted whoever did this to be punished. They mm. should be punished. Yeah. But it would be another year before the trial would actually happen, and that year was oh terrible God. for her. Those years are so long for victims' families. I know, and I cannot express enough, like, how much these parents suffered throughout this time. I'm sure. I'm because, sure. I mean, even from last week with um, Denise's mom, Betty Milner, and having someone go up to her and just having their unwanted opinions spouted at her, like, no one asked you. Right, and on top of that, just hearing... And reliving the trauma every single time you go to the grocery store and you see it on the front of newspapers. And, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of at every angle all year long. If the trial is not case closed, then, you know... You're going to be seeing it everywhere else. Right. And it's just going to haunt them for the whole year. The town where the trial would be held is Hart's hometown of Locust Grove. And they were all split on whether Hart did it or not. Everyone was very 50-50, and that became sort of rough for the trial because public opinion played such a huge role in this case. And like I said before, officers and law enforcement were very, no, we got the right guy, there's no doubt in their minds, whereas the public had this sympathy for Hart. And this support was all coming from his neighbors and peers around town. The doc touches on Hart being this football hero back when he was in high school, so that possibly could be an explanation for that. Um, and plus it was just a small town. So, I mean, it gave me very Friday Night Lights, even though I never watched Friday Night Lights. I'm just I how... I cannot relate to Friday Night Lights, but can relate to small town. Yeah. And... and just like him being the football star, like I 
just like the lovable boy was how he was portrayed. Yeah. Another interesting thing about that is that he was receiving support from both Native Americans and white locals. So a large percent of Locust Grove was Native Americans. Mm -hmm. Throughout this whole trial, the parents of Denise, Lori Lee, and Michelle were all seen as outsiders. The locals viewed them as sort of like invading their small town because they come from like the big city up in Tulsa. So it was like they're coming there to take one of their own. Can we not do that to the victim's parents? Yeah. No matter no matter who's on trial here. Can we just not do that to the people who have dead children? Yeah. Like, seriously. I mean, at, I, is let's that the make, biggest act? No, I don't think I don't, it is. It's really can not. Can we just let them? I mean, <laughs> if you want to be mad at the justice system, be mad at the justice system all you want. But those are just parents that are grieving because they lost their child. Mm-hmm. Let's just make that to general consensus, please. Can we just not? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> there are also some other factors at play. During this trial, it was a time of immense cultural shift. It was one of the first times that white Americans were really grappling with the mistreatment of Native Americans. Oh my God, it's about to I know. I'm like, Jesus, really? I mean, we're still struggling here, but... Like Lizzo's in the background. Yeah. It's about <laughs> time. time. No, but Seriously. really, actually, how many freaking decades have to go by after we mistreat Native I know. Americans to I know. realize we mistreated Native, Native American, Americans, and we still do? It's it's that simple, really. And, you know, this conversation was really pushed to the forefront through other social change going on at the time, and it fed into this local case that just really went viral and I think sparked a lot of important conversation. Do I think that Jean Leroy Hart should have been, you know, the center of the conversation? No. But do I think it was an important conversation to have? Yes. Yes, I agree. I definitely think that it's important to put it into perspective of, like, we can want good things for Native Americans, but not want good things a convicted for this rapist. particular Native American yeah. who is a convicted rapist. Yeah. Just like we wouldn't if you were a white guy. Because convicted rapist, I don't care what your race is, you're, you're a bag of trash. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what else to say. You know what I mean? You're, you're making so many valid points. Thank you. Thank Ticking you. all my boxes. This, okay. is, this is why we do this, you know? Thank you, yeah. The preliminary trial happened on June 8th, 1978, and this is a little less than two months after the arrest. Now, Gary Pitchlin, who we talked with a lot last week, not like in person, but just he commented a lot in the doc, and we went over his sort of history lesson of the treatment of Native Americans in Oklahoma. He becomes a part of Hart's defense team as co-counsel. He is also, if you remember, a formal legal advisor for the Native American Center. And it's this where I felt a little betrayed. <laughs> I was like, okay. Gary, I trusted you. I loved the history lesson of the mistreatment of Native Americans in Oklahoma. But I'm like, you, this, this guy? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's kind of like when, like, Johnny Cochran oh. was advocating for black rights yeah in the midst of the oj thing when he was like the attorney advocating for like no this is super racist and it's like well he did it he did it and there's a time and place for that conversation yeah we we still support black rights a hundred percent oj did it though exactly gotta go to prison same thing here that's the way it works that's me and gary right now i'm like yeah. you're you're not giving me a lot to work with gary come on okay so i touched on it briefly last episode because it wasn't heavily um it wasn't heavily touched on in the doc, sort of in the first two parts that I covered last week. But honestly, Jean Leroy Hart is a convicted rapist. 
And I wanted to give you guys a better picture of Hart and who he was. So I did some external research and found that in 1966, Hart kidnapped two pregnant women at gunpoint that I did not know from the dock. That's horrifying. Took them to the woods, raped them, and left them for dead. When Hart was caught, he confessed to all of it. And he was then sentenced to three 10-year prison terms to be served concurrently. But was paroled after 28 months. Excuse me? I'm not sure. Not 28 years? No. 28 months. I don't like that. Neither did I. So while he was on parole, he burgled or stole something. He was caught for a burglary charge. And because he was still on parole for the previous kidnapping and rape, the court served him with like 350 years of prison time. I'm okay with that. So am I. And this is all reported from a news station based in Oklahoma City. And you can check the show notes if you want more information about that. But all this to say that Hart is definitely not a good person and is capable of committing heinous crimes. So, yeah, it's there's just no disputing that. Gary Pitchlin interviewed Hart two days after his arrest and they would ask Garvin Isaacs to be the other co-counsel. This brings us to the preliminary trial. And during this sort of stage, uh, the prosecution has to present enough evidence for the judge to give them a thumbs up so it can all be taken to actual trial. This was reported as the longest preliminary trial in Oklahoma history. Over 100 witnesses testified, OSBI agents, local police, medical examiners, you, me. <laughs> Your mother. But like, right. Like, but it, 100? 100 is a I lot. I thought that was why. I thought very excessive. 100 feels like a lot for a preliminary pl- 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 Right? I have trouble sorry, with I it. Go. No, it's okay. <laughs> I was struggling as I well. hate that word. Can we just have an easier Too word? Many. I think <laughs> the I court th- system is hard enough. Can we just have an easier word for preliminary the, the trials? Preliminary. Trials. I can say it in my core. I can say it, but I just never get it right. You know? Yeah. Just just tumbles out of my mouth all weird. Feel you. Probable cause is also needed obviously, to be established, and it was. So it became official that Hart must stand trial for the murders of Denise, Lori Lee, and Michelle. I can get behind the probable cause thing. I feel like there there maybe wasn't solid evidence, but there was totally probable cause. Oh, uh, yeah. Jury selection happens on March 5th, 1979. And like I said before, the trial is being held in Hart's hometown, to which his defense team is like, this is the only way he will get a fair trial because the case is so well known. I feel the opposite about that. It, you and a couple other people. You and a couple I other have people. To say, but not because I just think it's too biased. But I guess it, they can make the argument that like, well, white people are racist everywhere. So it's going to be biased everywhere else the other way. But could we maybe find common grounds? Could we find a good maybe little, a little mix? Half and half? Yeah, a little mix it up a little I bit. Know. I don't know. Even if we took him to like a different area where Native American people were considered cool with them. Yeah, no, literally. <laughs> but like the town where he is so beloved and supposedly this football hometown hero yeah, type. Yeah, like maybe the town that didn't watch him get a touchdown could just right. be a town that holds. I don't know. I don't know. I agree. And Bo Farmer, Lori Lee's dad, also agrees. He said that having the trial in an environment that was so hostile to them and with a district attorney that they did not have confidence in was way too unfair. Absolutely. And especially because like what you said, the the victims' families were treated like outsiders. Like How shit. is that going to be a fair trial if no one cares about the victims? It's it, it's it's not. And although Bo Farmer didn't go as far as to say that it was 
unfair. I could see where the dog was getting at and to where he was getting at. That I'm getting at. Yeah, that we're all getting at. I like, Bo, you don't have to say it. We will scream it for you. It's unfair. Right. And it's like, I get the aspect of him being a Native American and it being unfair to have this in other areas, which Mm -hmm. might be biased in that. But I mean, what about the families and their pain? I I know. This is like, it's so hard because kind of every moment ever is a moment where you should make cultural statements and fight for people. A hundred percent. But if we're going to pick a moment that isn't about that, it's this one. It's right. (laughs) I mean, scream from the rooftops that people deserve the same rights as other people, but at the same time, can we hold them to the same standard? We can't just give this guy a pass because his his culture is hated on by so many. Like, that's not the way we get justice for people. It's... It's truly not. And especially after you take into consideration all the circumstances of this case, it's like, you really can't. Yeah. There, it's, it's just yeah. not. Because look at his past... His confessions in his past, too. Like, not only just the fact that we think he did it, he said he did. Right. That's why. That's why. Why do we still trust (laughs) this man? It is beyond frustrating. And if it's frustrating for me, I cannot imagine how it was for the families actually going through it. So my heart is just always going out to them. Bo Farmer said they did not trust this DA and they had a right to because it was so much fuckery going on. Mm -hmm. Like... To say the least. So the DA, his name is Sid Wise. He started as a bank lawyer and ran for DA and won because the last one quit. So the docs were insinuates that, yeah, he just fell into the position kind of thing without specifically Mm, saying it. Sounds like a Johnson. Yeah, like, I I know what they were going to get. And he is now in charge of prosecuting Hart. And he made so many missteps, like sharing reports of the OSBI um, that the OSBI gave him all about the case with details, stuff he would need to bring to court. And he was just sharing it with like a random journalist. Oh no. All because he had a contract in place to do a book about the entire case after it was all said and done. Maybe that guy shouldn't be running shit. A hundred percent. Like maybe conflict that of guy interest? should take a back seat for a minute. <laughs> Please. And maybe write your book, but, but recuse yourself. We don't need you Anywhere near this case. Making a mess of this. Right. Like, seriously. He was even put on the witness stand and was asked directly if he gave any OSBI reports to anyone outside of law enforcement. He denied it. Any investigative reports? Did he give that to anyone? Denied it as well. But they had proof of it. And now they had proof of him lying under oath. So it's like, goodbye. Put him in a cell right next to my friend Hart. Right. And so he is eventually replaced But this really had a ripple effect and the local Locust Grove community didn't appreciate that. And it really put the trial at risk because public opinion turned against him. Bo Farmer puts it best when he says that there were issues with the investigation, issues with the accused, issues with the DA. Like the parents had to step in and ask for Buddy Fallis, who was the DA in Tulsa County, to step in and intervene. Thankfully, he did. The previous DA, Sid Wise, bows out, and it's just happy and nice. Buddy has this great reputation. He's very successful, and it's just good news overall. Yeah, They're like, okay, we have a chance. needed that. Yeah, we have a chance. The trial happens on March 9th, 1979. Lori Lee's family and Denise's family were there for every event that happened throughout the trial, and I got so excited to hear that Richard Gousset was also present for a lot of the trial as well, who is Michelle's um, dad. 
especially because we don't hear a lot about Michelle's family. Um, mm-hmm. It's never stated why, but that was nice to include and nice to hear. Love that. The new prosecutor, D.A. Thallis, needs to link the evidence found at the crime scene to the cave where Hart was believed to have stayed. Mm-hmm. One of the items was a pair of glasses that was stolen from the camp, and one of the counselors even came forward to identify it as hers. It was specifically from a counselor's tent the night of the homicide. And to me, that brings up a lot. One, nobody woke up. Two, this guy was just rummaging, or this person was just rummaging through multiple tents and stole so many little things along with the glasses. So it just, it's a crazy idea to me. Yeah, I can't even, like, think about how guilty that must make the counselors feel. Like, they must have such a weight on them knowing that, like, could have somehow been changed right like they could have intervened somehow i'm sure you like how can you not feel that they're way gonna of think responsibility? about this all the yeah until the day they die like that is so devastating right so that's one of the points that the prosecution <clears throat> brings up but gary pitchland also makes a case for the glasses having somehow been placed in the cave like intentionally put there so he sort of discounts it with saying oh it could have been planted like okay, gary, we don't that's know enough. it's uh, gary it, who who planted that 50 miles away <sighs> Another piece of evidence everyone thought was rock solid was the flashlight, especially because it had a fingerprint on it. It was located on the lens, but it was never definitively linked to anyone. I mean, could they? No. Did they it, take the fingerprint? No. Back then, they didn't really have the <clears throat> DNA evidence to test it, but they did have the print. Right. Um, it was a night. They were unable to identify it, and it was basically a smudge almost, so they couldn't mm, even so they do couldn't a lot see with the that. pattern, really. Right, especially with the technology back then. I mean, like a smudge, like... I mean, it's literally like when you put your finger on a piece of tape. Yeah. That's what they had back then. (laughs) That was the science that they had. Let's clean up this pile of blood and solve this case. Looks like it to me. Right. Map it up. (laughs) Then there were the wedding photos. Like, Hart had worked on developing them during his time in prison. So how did they end up in the cave? Mm. more speculation of the previous sheriff being in possession of the pig start coming out because as you know the sheriff back then had this supposed anger towards Hart because he escaped under his purview so they think that the sheriff was in possession of the picks and planted them there too whether that's true or not is a little iffy and obviously the defense is poking holes in just anything they can and I mean honestly it's let them poke I mean Here's my thing, too, is, like, as much as I want this guy to rot in a cell because I do believe it's him based on what I know, I'm also, like, he does still deserve a fair trial as much as he can get, you know? So I'm like, let them poke. Let right, them poke. They, it is the prosecution's job to make sure that that doesn't work. Oh, you know? my God. No, Gary says this quote, which I was like, okay, you have a fair point, and we'll get into that later on because I don't know it off of the top of my head, but you're so on track. <laughs> Such a genius. Such right, a you genius. Guys, just you. remember that for later. <laughs> now the sheriff comes out and absolutely denies all of these allegations but i mean it's still in the jurors minds if you're catching on the vibe of the trial it's very back and forth and it's especially harmful because this is a huge public trial right Mm -hmm. and it's all made up of hearts community so almost anything can sort of stand for reasonable doubt if properly delivered to them especially because that's one of their own up there right So the trial isn't going too well. The defense called a lot of the, quote, rock-solid evidence into question, 
And honestly, so did I at the start of this episode. I was like, do they have enough? Is there something else? Where is it? Right. And the prosecution was slowly finding out that their evidence wasn't as strong as they thought. And mind you, this is about 10 years before DNA was a thing. So it was very hard on the prosecution's part. Yeah, that's not a good excuse. Yeah. Especially. You know what I mean? Because like. <laughs> no, it is. It's, I think a lot of the reason why this went to trial was the push from law enforcement to like bring justice to these families. But it's like, if you don't have it there is just like yeah i almost am like i'm almost more on the side of just letting people run free that are dangerous oh my god you're so broke no but then prosecuting every which way with no evidence because because it's like half time half the time i'm sure most of those people didn't do the things you think they did because you're not getting enough evidence and like right now to this day even with DNA, cops still don't get enough evidence. People are still so, being wrongfully convicted. Exactly. So I'm like, I don't really think them not having DNA is, like, an excuse. Like, work with what you have, and if you don't have enough, don't try him for three counts of first-degree murder. Especially because after you do, you can't do it again. Exactly. That is why I think... Let the dangerous people run and just work your ass off until you find what they did. You know what I mean? Like, right. you can't just be trial happy. and Yeah. And just go trying everyone you want. Yeah. So, one of the other frustrating things was that the prosecution did have a sperm stain sample. The prosecution... Uh, the- and what could they do with that? <laughs> what could they do well, with that? What could they do with that? Well... I want to know what they could do with that. Well... Not a lot. We come to find out. Not Not a a lot. lot. The prosecution said it was connected to heart, but the expert could not conclusively say yes or no. Because he was like, what's DNA? What's... I... I almost... That liquid looks like your liquid and my liquid. He did not know. But... But the expert did say that there is a high likelihood that they came from the same person. Why? How does he know that without DNA? Did he say? I don't see he smell it or something. Ew. I'm just wondering. Like, what I is, don't know, but... What is the telltale? Nothing. They're literally grasping at straws here, and it is so frustrating to hear about. No, but I'm actually asking a question. Oh. Without what? DNA, how do they tell that that sperm is somebody's sperm? Maybe they just... I think DNA just wasn't fully, like, developed back then. I think we had DNA because... They knew what it was. They just didn't know how to get it, I yeah, think, or test it. But, 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 how could they tell it was? Someone? I'm honestly not sure, and I think the jurors were thinking the same thing. Yeah, they were like, "This is a lot of junk science to me." <laughs> Truly, there's this huge report that comes out saying after two days of testimonies, the prosecution has yet to introduce any evidence that links Hart to the crime. And it's true. I mean, even the judge says that this is very unusual and the state might not have a case. Mm. Garvin Isaacs, who was a part of the defense team, was also introducing other suspects. And this is the quote that I was talking about. Gary puts it best to say that their job was not to prove innocence. It's the prosecution's job to prove guilt. Absolutely. I agree, Gary. And I'm Gary like, and I are back on the same page, right? For uh, this a little moment. bit. He's, 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 he's for a this little moment bit. alone. Right. <laughs> So the defense introduces this man named William Stevens, who was seen by witnesses near the Girl Scout camps the day of the killing. Supposedly, he had scratches on his arms and red stains on his boots. Man, could you imagine being him and getting that call? 
hey, what? you're um, subpoenaed to come in because the defense wants to actually pin it on you. Uh, so you have to come in and show us. Well, oh my God. Shit gets so wild with this, though. Like, this isn't the end of William Go Stevens. On. It's just, just hang on. So we hear from Betty Denise Milner's mom in one of the interviews from back when the trial was all happening. And she says, quote, though I try very hard to cope with it and try and understand what has happened, it's not easy. And that's just sort of a little bit of what she has gone through personally with this. Mm -hmm. And the next part, we're going to hear more about her personal struggle with this whole thing. And it's very unexpected to say the least. What do you mean the next part? Well, this is just part three. We have part four. But lucky for you, it's in the same episode I because I to love say, you. Don't you deliver a third of this? I, I won't. Will I won't. I would too. I would too. What am, What do I look like doing three parts on something? It's okay. one and two, and that's I it. I was gonna say I, I didn't like you leaving me on a cliffhanger last week, and don't yeah, you do it again? No, I won't. Okay. I won't. All right. More fuckery happens. <laughs> it's March twentieth, nineteen seventy nine. Eleven days after the trial started, there was an announcement that Hart was going to be available for a media interview. The questions were sent in for approval, like it was very controlled. And this is huge because up until then, Hart had been silent about the entire case. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's all sort of softball questions. Like one of them asks, what do you think about Watergate? <gasps> Excuse me? I know. And they put it perfectly because it cuts to Sherry Farmer, Lori Lee's mom, present day. And she says nothing that should be asked of a man who was accused of murdering three children and already was in prison for a rape was asked. Right. Were they trying to question his intelligence or something? Like, what was the the reason to ask him about Watergate? Because to me, it's like, that doesn't, what do you, it doesn't, did you come to the right job today? Well, the de- were you actually supposed to be at, at that Watergate <laughs> conference? And you just showed up here instead? We're, we're, a little, we're a little locust grove. I think you got you the wrong address, is, sweetie. You know this is a murder trial, right? right. I don't, where are you supposed to be? <laughs> She's like, I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. She's like, but, but, but what do you think? Because I don't, I don't have any notes on this. I'm in the wrong place. Just, could you just tell still, me what you think on Watergate? Still wants. Still wants the answer. My boss is going to kill me if I don't get somebody's opinion on Watergate. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's. Anyone, please. Everyone's like, listen, this is a murder trial. You have to leave. She's like, but I have a job. I have no food on the table. (laughs) Oh, that poor reporter. She's a fucking idiot. I'm sorry. She is an idiot, but seriously, nothing was asked about the trial. Nothing about his guilt. And I can't help think about their reaction when this is all happening in real time. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. <laughs> I just sneeze. <laughs> no, they heard. Okay. I guess it's time for me to tell you guys, I have a beast of a sneeze. No, they know. It, it rocks me to my core. Has it never been in an episode? Um, no. I like... No, I always cut it out. But this one I'll keep because it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> it scared me. <laughs> so while all that is happening, people are still coming up to the families of Denise, Lori Lee, and Michelle. And in particular to Sherry Farmer, one person goes... Well, he just doesn't look like he can murder anyone. Well, those are the people who could get away with it. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Those uh, are the more dangerous ones. It, <laughs> I'm sorry, but don't we know Ted Bundy to be some regular-ass looking man? A complete... Ted Bundy was the most regular man on earth. I mean, really. It's like when people say that he was even attractive, I'm like, I'm listen, like, girl, I'm not going to fight with you on the fact that he's regular looking. There is nothing outlandish about his face. I'm not looking at him thinking, what the hell happened there? But... 
is not attractive. He, he is, is a regular, regular degular, man. schmegular I man. Forget that face, but that's what's so scary. Right. Exactly. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, Karen from down the block. Who the fuck asked you anyways? I'm sorry. Are you profiling? Are you from the profiling division of the FBI? You know what a murderer looks like? Are you with the police? Ma'am? Ugh. Piss me the fuck off. But the defense did all of this to try to humanize him. And in the middle of a trial that wasn't going so well, it was somewhat effective. And just continued to move public opinion in favor of Hart. Mm -hmm. Do you remember William Stevens? Um, one of the, the guy that they're trying to pin it on. Exactly. The guy that they're trying to pin it on. Yeah. Well, this story of him being a possible suspect comes from Joyce Payne. And apparently her testimony was a lie. And then the guy that she was working with called Dwayne Peters admitted that they both lied. And they both failed their individual polygraph tests. Needless to say, it was bullshit. All right. Okay. It just wasn't even worth my breath, but right. I had to put it in there because... He does come up in the case. Mm-hmm. The verdict comes on March 31st, 1979. Now, they tried all three cases together. So when they're reading out the verdicts, it's all not guilty. One oh after the God. other for Denise, Lori Lee, and Michelle. It took jurors five hours to make up their minds and everyone is surprised. But like, everyone? I'm not. <laughs> Yeah, it was a shit show from the start. It's what it was. Are we going to watch a firestorm and then be confused? What was a firestorm? No, you had the match. <laughs> you had the match. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense from either end of us. <laughs> Probably not, no, but it's just... we're running with it. It, it was just so shocking because I'm sure the parents were being told by the police that we are doing everything we can. And I'm, I'm sure that they were, but it's just, it, it, it's sad all around. Yeah. Betty Milner puts it best when she says the law is a game. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Betty girl. That's true, though. Like, it's really just about who can play it best. Right. And the jury says they just kept waiting for prosecution to make their case, kept waiting for something big to drop. Like, they didn't have that smoking gun. And a lot of it was circumstantial evidence. And even that wasn't sort of an overwhelming amount. Right. Something I didn't realize was that Hart was already going to be in jail for a long time for his previous crime. Oh, so he, he still had that, like, 350-year 300- sentence, which okay. I'm sure is nice to hear, but I, for the parents, they really wanted yeah, they that want justice. they want the individual justice. Exactly. Or even if, like, let's say the state had broken it up and only charged him for one of the murders, then they could try again for the second murder, and then maybe they can feel some sort of cohesive justice if they won on any of the counts. Right. But they decided to do all three at once, and it, it like didn't work out. a bunch of buffoons. Buffoons! I'm no lawyer, but would you catch me doing that? No! Would you catch me doing any no. of this? No! shenanigans really now this is the end of part three and it does end on a hopeful note it teases the current investigation that's using this little thing called dna technology finally (laughs) finally the buffoonery can end i know like dna technology it's all advanced i'm so excited give me a flying car please so give me the news okay so heart goes right back to prison at least he is away and cannot harm anyone else because mm-hmm. he still owed the state like 300 something, 350 years, some oh, odd okay. years. Yeah. And the journalist says this and I literally freak. So while 
in the so he gets sent back to the Oklahoma State Penitentiary in McAllister to serve out the rest of his sentence, and he collapses. And I what am do you mean freaking collapses? out. Well, what do you mean collapses? Well, he is exercising in like the little yard, uh-huh. goes on a walk, and just collapses. Like he faints. It, he collapses. Sherry, when somebody asks you to use that damn word in a sentence, what are you gonna do? Use the same word? Yeah. What, is, what do you word. mean by collapses? Did he just, did he faint? What info do you have Well, on he this? dies. <gasps> well, that's what he did. He died. Well, I wasn't waiting. I don't know. Well, he, good. What, he, are we, what are we wasting any more breath on this man for? Get I him sh- out of here. I shit you not. The next clip is, quote, Jean Leroy Hart dies less than three months after the Girl Scout murder trial. Oh. And let me tell you this, I did that not know. soon after. So quick. So, oh, it becomes this huge news story and conspiracy theories start flying out the ass. I'm sure. Truly. They're like, he was beaten to death. He was poisoned. Some think it's divine justice, which may not be true. not opposed. But, and not opposed. Not opposed. But apparently Hart's brother has died from a heart attack when he was 36. So I guess it runs in the family. Oh, God. Um, The conspiracies were really freaking everyone out. So they had to do an autopsy on Hart. And they found that he had blockage in one artery that was up to 90%. Mm. You know what they say? You carry the weight of your own drama. I'm sorry, Jean, but you were owed this heart attack. I mean, seriously. Since the murders, the Girl Scouts closed Camp Scott and eventually sold the property. Now the current sheriff, Mike Reed, is very determined to solve the case based on all the evidence he had. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a bunch of stuff reported missing the next day after the girls were murdered. And essentially, like I said before, someone was going through the camp and just going in and out of different tents. Not only were the compact cases missing or the glasses, but it was also just random other items. Hmm. So the current sheriff is theorizing that the person who was roaming around the area... Um, was trying to find one specific girl. Okay. And to me, this means they were either cocky and got lucky or they were very familiar with the area. Right. I was thinking the familiar with the area. Right. Reed believes the person intentionally delivered fatal blows to two girls and left the one the killer intended to actually harm alive. Oh, man. Some other interesting facts were that Hart's mother lived in an area very close to the camp. And Hart was MIA for four years after escaping prison. So it is in close proximity to the camp. Mm-hmm. And also the method used to bind Denise was the same used in the 1966 case that Hart admitted to. That's it was all the, I need. It was the That's same MO and everything. He goes That's into horrifying. He goes into so much detail. But I mean, right down to it. It, it was yeah. the same MO. Ugh. It's also flashed on the screen the name <laughs> Doris Denise Milner. And I guess we're best friends because throughout this entire thing, I've been calling her Denise. And in my defense, in three-fourths, like, more than half of this doc, they were calling her Denise. Mm. But her first name is Doris. Cute. Doris. Doris Denise what a Milner. Cute name. Betty Milner says that the investigating officers were very hesitant to tell her anything about what happened to Denise. But to her, she wanted the exact opposite. She said she wanted to know everything that happened to Denise because... You can't protect a person from something like that. Right. She said that if she were to ever be okay, that she needed to know everything that happened to Denise. Yeah. Sherry Farmer, Lori Lee's mother, also says this very powerful statement. And she says, quote, even when I was able to say murdered, it was a long time before I could say raped. 
Oh my god, that breaks my heart. And it was here that I realized that all three girls were raped and sexually assaulted. That is so incredibly devastating. In last week's episode, I got the impression that Denise was the only one who was raped. And from right. additional research it that was stated in official websites that I trusted, sort of only mentioned Denise. But it, after this episode, it's clear that all three girls were harmed severely. And it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. In Alexandria, Virginia, there is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And it's run by Cheryl Stokes. Now, she was actually a classmate of Lori Lee's, and she joined because of everything that happened to Lori Lee. Oh, my God. In 2013, she started a forensic case review for the farmers and reached out to them to sort of, like, help out any way she can. And Andrea Fielding heard about this and sort of got this whole thing rolling with testing all the pieces of evidence that they had. Hell, yeah. Right? Now, Andrea Fielding is the director of forensic science services at OSBI. She pulled the file and saw that only one item had been submitted for DNA evidence, and there were hundreds of other available for testing. So get not- it, girl. Get it, girl. <laughs> get it, girl. She's hauling ass. Yes! She's hauling ass! So that one piece of evidence that was tested happened in 1980. Mm-hmm. OSBI elected to send a sample of the semen stain from the pillowcase. Right, because they didn't know what to do with it before. Exactly. And it was in Michelle's sleeping bag. They wanted to test it with all the new technology and just see what they could find, right? And from biological evidence, they were able to come up with a partial profile, which points to heart, but still circumstantial and inconclusive. Mm. Originally, they had 400 pieces of evidence and started with items that were around the bodies and just pulled out all the stops. Now, they didn't have the resources to test all of the items back then. And even now, it's very expensive. So Sheriff Reed went out and raised private funding to have additional lab work performed by private labs. Wow. He raised a little over $30,000. Wow. Thank that you. is very great. Thank you. <laughs> and even then, it was sort of hard to test all of that evidence because they can only test certain pieces of evidence and mm-hmm. only do that in certain labs. And even those testable pieces must meet certain qualifications. So it's just, they're doing all they can. Right. One of the things that they were able to test were hairs from the tent floors. There were large amounts, but only of one specific kind. So they're like, why does this keep appearing over and over again? We should test this. Mm -hmm. Most pieces of the evidence were so degraded that they couldn't really pull a DNA profile, but they got one from the tent floors after combing through all those pieces of hairs and they compared it to suspects from the case. Now, OSBI didn't solely look at heart. They also had other suspects. So the theory of the past sheriff having this grudge and only circling in on heart wasn't true. Hmm. Good to know. They tested over 300 different items, but only got a usable DNA profile from the semen stain tested by the FBI and hairs from the tent floors tested by the OSBI. And when the results came back, they all matched with Jean Leroy Hart. Oh, my the evidence, The evidence strongly suggests his involvement in this case. Thank God. Like, I know. And so it's wait, like, is this case considered closed? I Yeah. Hell yeah. Truly, it's considered Hell closed. yeah. Now, Betty Milner comes in and she talks about dealing with this 
whole thing and how she just felt the need to talk about Denise. Mm -hmm. But family and friends were also dealing with it. And in that, they sort of ignored her in a way. Like, she didn't have an outlet to talk to anyone. And I could just really feel her frustration and sadness over not having that that to, like, help her mm-hmm. deal with everything that was going on. So Right. Everyone was denying her and, in a way, kind of denying Denise, too. Yeah. So that was very, very heartbreaking. Do you want to know a little something? I sure do. (laughs) Now, the doc never mentioned this. And this is one of the things I remember specifically about this case. And it was just never brought up. Hmm. I don't know why. It's never stated. What is it? Um, So apparently the camp had been receiving threats prior to the summer the girls were killed. Now, hold on. Okay. I see. (laughs) I see your, I see your brows. I'm angry. A little furrowed. uh, Rightfully so. Now, these threats were delivered all leading up to the summer session that the girls would attend. These threats include slashes to tent flaps, various burglaries, and a note threatening the incoming campers. Oh my god. If I were a parent and I found out that the camp didn't tell me that before my kid went there... Anger is an understatement. Yeah, definitely an understatement. These threats had previously not been disclosed by the camp, though they had been aware of the situation prior to that summer in particular see it's like the preliminary particularly particularly there was a handwritten note stating in capital letters quote we are on a mission to kill three girls intent one end quote the director of that camp session treated the note as a prank and it was just thrown away oh my god now it was was this not the 70s was. Didn't we know better by the 70s? The 70s was a crazy time. I would hope. Weren't we on high alert by then? Well, Ted Bundy was running amok. I hate that I've mentioned Ted Bundy twice in this episode. God damn it. <laughs> it's just the ridiculousness of it all, you know? Yeah, and like, can when, when we see a red flag, can we not ignore it? I mean, I, I know, and it's not even like... I, can't, I almost can't excuse it. Like, these are children. One of the um, counselors goes on to say in an interview that, quote, in all of our years, and we have searched the records, there has been no incident in which a camper has been harmed by an intruder on the campsite. I don't care. Like, okay, we had to wait for it to happen before we can, like, Take have precautionary measures. I don't... Yeah. Now, mind you, the girls did stay in tent seven, which goes against the note of killing three girls in tent one but i mean it's so chilling maybe he wrote a seven. Ooh, <laughs> i need to see the handwriting sample because <laughs> sometimes my ones look like sevens oh my god i don't know no i just don't listen to me i will <laughs> because what if i didn't look at the no i tried i didn't think there was anything when i looked it up i'm, I'm sure whoever looked at it would have known if it were a seven or a i'm just saying if you were on the team The doc ends on this really beautiful note. Um, The families really wanted to celebrate the 45th year anniversary by sort of leaving a legacy for the girls and making sure they aren't forgotten. Mm -hmm. Sherry Farmer says that there's so many sides to grief. And even though there are bad times, there is anger and all that, you can still be okay. 
Thanks for listening. You can catch us on Instagram at the Chalkline Pod, Twitter at the Chalkline Pod, and follow along with our YouTube channel. The link is in the Instagram bio. Tune in next Thursday for another story. Thank you.